Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. If you've been a fan of the Plan Strong podcast for over five years, then my bet is you're probably very familiar with my next guest. Robbie Barbero, a close friend and one of the founders of Mastering Diabetes, along with his partner, Cyrus Kambata. You also probably know that I love the sport of triathlon, and I competed at a world-class level for almost 20 years. Well, wouldn't you know it, Robbie Barbero has also recently turned his sights to the sport of triathlon, specifically the Ironman distance triathlon. This is the granddaddy of them all. And if you don't know what an Ironman distance triathlon is, it's a one-day triathlon where you've got a certain set amount of time to complete a 2.4-mile ocean swim, a 112-mile bike, and then you have to get off that bike after you're drop-dead tired, your legs are aching and screaming, and then you have to run a marathon. 26.2 miles. (laughs) It sounds absolutely ludicrous, I know. But it's also so exciting and awesome when someone sets super high goals for themselves, puts in the work, maintains a positive attitude, and then goes on to accomplish that goal. And that's exactly what Robbie Barbero does. And did I mention that Robbie is a type 1 diabetic and has been since the age of 14. We recorded this interview earlier in the summer after Robbie completed his first Ironman in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we talk about how he trained and fueled himself as a type 1 diabetic on a plant-based diet. I mean, I was super curious, like, what did he eat over the course of the 12-hour race? We also talked about his mindset and training philosophy because he essentially had to start from ground zero as a triathlete because he's a former tennis player. As Robbie likes to say, you can always become a happier and better version of yourself, and that's exactly what he does. And he invites all of us to do the same thing, no matter what your goals happen to be. And believe me, It doesn't have to be completing an Ironman triathlon. Let's welcome our Mastering Diabetes Ironman superhero, 
Robbie Barbero. Robbie Barbero, welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. It's good to be here. Good to have you in the flesh. The last time that we were together in the flesh for the podcast was 2019. Mm -hmm. I came out to visit you in Santa Monica, California, at your bachelor pad. It was fun. And we had a fantastic interview. It was actually my 30th interview of season one. And since then, you know, we had COVID and I did a lot of Zooms. So it's really nice to be doing one of these, you know, live face-to-face where the connection is, you know, unparalleled. Yes. And for the people that don't know who you are, your background, that haven't listened to that podcast, I'd love, let's just do like a, a, a short recap, Reader's Digest, of kind of your your journey to becoming a type 1 diabetic and then writing this book mastering diabetes to your most recent incredibly incredible accomplishment which is not only competing but finishing and missing qualifying for the ironman like triathlon like the king kahona by a minute and like 30 seconds and 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 all the everything that went into that effort. And I'm going to ask you a question and then let's go back. But do you know, do you know anyone else as a type one diabetic that's done Ironman triathlons? There are other people for sure. There was one person who was profiled on a really cool website called Beyond Type One. It's an amazing organization. They really document stories and do a lot of good work. And there was a man who has, he he did it. His time was Better than mine by like, I think an hour or so. So that was very inspiring and motivating. Wow. So, yeah. uh, but there's a lot of tight ones and a lot of cool things. And, um, you know, I'm excited to be yeah. part of the club. And you're, you're even wearing your Iron Man <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not taking it t-shirt. off. I'm not taking it off until the next one. I have my band and my t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you've caught the bug, <laughs> haven't have. you? Absolutely have. Wow. Which you well, warned me about. You guys said, be careful, <laughs> especially when no. you, know, you have a family and all that. It's, 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 it's usually never one and done. Yeah. With with Iron Man's, and we'll we'll talk about that. So, where where did you grow up, yeah. and when was it that you found out that that something was a a little amiss with your blood sugar? Okay, so I grew up in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I have two older brothers. My middle older brother was diagnosed with type one diabetes about nine years prior to me, so I was very familiar with the condition. And I told my mom, I said, "Mom, I'm going to the bathroom all the time." I am thirsty all the time. I'm drinking a ton of water. I'm just like always wanting liquids. I think I have type 1 diabetes just like Steve. She said, no, 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 don't be silly. You don't have type 1 diabetes. I said, okay. So I just continued to live my life. And do you remember how old you were when you- I was 12. I was 12 years old. And I was on the phone with my mom while she was out of town. So we were living in Minnesota. My mom and dad were in Florida looking for homes because we were going to be moving to Florida. And she called to check in and say, hey, how are things going? I said, mom, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping. She said, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood glucose meter and test yourself. And I tested myself on his meter and I was well over 400. And as a non-diabetic, you really should not be above 140. Should be somewhere between 70 and 140 at any given point in the day. Having a blood glucose level of over 400 is a big problem. So my brother said right then and there, you have type 1 diabetes, pack your bag, you're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. Your brother said my that? My brother said that, yeah. So that was my type 1 brother being like, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. And how much older uh, than so you? Like was nine he? years. 
Oh, so he was driving and, and yeah, all yeah, that for sure. Place. Yeah. So he drove me to the regular doctor, just, you know, standard doctor, and they ran a few tests. I don't know which test they ran. I'd actually be curious to see which ones they actually ran and what the results were. But at that office, they said, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. Now it's time for you to go to the hospital, check in. They'll put you on an IV, give you insulin. And I only had to stay for one night because my parents were so familiar with the condition. And I remember my parents came back and my dad said, look, this is just an inconvenience. You can still do whatever you want in life. You're going to be just fine. And I think I really benefited from the confidence that my parents had in already being through type 1 diabetes for so many years. So I was familiar with it. My brother was, my family was. It was just kind of like a more graceful way to handle the transition to a new life. So when you were feeling cramping, urinating a lot at, at night, did, you, did it also cause you mentally to feel a little bit wonky? Um, I don't really remember that. Okay. I don't really remember yeah. that being an issue. Yeah. It was really just, <laughs> I mean, you are so thirsty. You go to the bathroom so many times. It is ridiculous. And, 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 and is that typically a sign of elevated blood Correct. sugar? Because, you know, I mean, I myself have, after a, like a long day, like a, a five-hour bike ride and a 10-mile run and then not um, having enough fuel, then going into the fire station, I can remember once going, man, I feel absolutely like I'm bonking. I yeah. feel so wonky, mentally fragile. Mm. And I tested myself with a glucometer and I was 41. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not wow. diabetic whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it just makes makes me wonder, like when you when your blood sugars get elevated, yeah. does it mentally do anything to like cause you to feel wonky or not really? I mean, for me, when my blood glucose is high, I have this sense of pressure. I mean, everybody's unique; everybody's different yeah. in how they feel with different blood glucose levels. But for me, it's like this: like something is just like compressing, <laughs> like it's not good. Uh, compressing on your brain yeah, or like, just like my entire body like it's just like this yeah overall sense of pressure interesting it's very interesting yeah all right so uh, help me so you got diagnosed with a type 1 di diabetes yeah. you felt pretty comfortable yeah because your parents you know kind of knew the game yeah. you had an older brother that was type 1 diabetic and so what's the next thing that you do so, I mean, I had a really a type A personality. I still have a type A personality. I just kind of like took it on. Like, okay, this is it. You, you know, I was a competitive tennis player growing up. So, um, in the, uh, the northern region, I was, I was one of the top-ranked players. And so, I think that sort of kind of keeps you distracted from things like this, right? Like, you have something to focus on. You just yeah. learn, you learn how to manage it, right? So, that was, that was next. And then... Uh, I ended up moving to Florida, and that was so my my mom could take care of her parents. And my dad would still travel back and forth. He still has a business in Minnesota. So he still does that. Wow. <laughs> and um, so we did that. And then also, so I had a chance for becoming a better tennis player, right? And then moving to Florida, instead of being like one of the top-ranked players, now I'm like top 50, right? So Florida's a whole different ballgame of yeah. tennis players. But it was fun. And while I was in Florida, uh, as a high school student, I ended up stumbling across a book at Barnes & Noble, okay? Which book? It's a book I'm not going to recommend people read, but it changed my life. It's called huh. Kevin Trudeau's Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. Wow, okay. So, uh, some of your listeners, I have a feeling, will have seen this guy. He was on infomercials. 
He's a very handsome guy. He had this, this purple cover. He sold millions of copies. But he ended up going to jail for like some fraud and stuff. So I'm not recommending this book. But the book planted a seed in my mind that maybe it's possible to reverse type 1 diabetes if I can heal from the inside out. And so this book just set me on a mission. It's a lifelong mission. I'm still on this mission. I wrote about it in, in the book. Um, and I started to do anything and everything I possibly could to heal my body from the inside out. No matter, and it's just, it was one thing after another, just learning about, mm. oh, wow, like, you know, maybe organic is better than conventional, or maybe you can try and avoid MSG or something, or, oh, wow, like, dairy might not be the best for you. Like, it was just little bits of learning, and all on a mission to do whatever I can to try and get my beta cells to work again. So Have, type- you, have you ever heard of anyone who's been, like, diagnosed as type 1 diabetic? <clears throat> getting their beta cells to work again yeah. and reversing it. So there's a, a lot of controversy around this topic, but I have yet to meet a person who has done what would I would be we be required to reverse type 1 diabetes. Okay, number one is you have a low C-peptide, okay? My C-peptide is less than 0.1. It's undetectable, meaning that C-peptide is, it's like in, in your blood, it's in a one-to-one, it's produced in a one-to-one ratio. Insulin and C-peptide, one-to-one ratio. Then they split off. And you can test C-peptide because it has a, a longer like half-life, okay? So C-peptide is an indicator of how much insulin your body is producing. Where's C-peptide produced? Uh, I don't even know. Okay, okay. Uh, but you can, you can test it very easily. It's inexpensive, okay? So my C-peptide is less than 0.1, meaning I have an undetectable amount of insulin being produced. Yeah. Okay? So if you truly, to heal type 1 diabetes, we need that C-peptide to get back into a healthy range. It's got to be somewhere around like 2.5, somewhere around there, okay? Above 2. Right. So that'd be number one. And number two is you have to demonstrate that you had diabetes antibodies. They were elevated and you got them down to a point where they were not causing a problem anymore. Mm. So that's the issue. So I have diabetes antibodies that are, to the best of scientific knowledge, they're destroying beta cells. So on this journey of trying to figure out how to heal type one, even if I somehow found a way for my stem cells to produce new insulin producing beta cells theoretically the antibodies that are still present in my body would just destroy them so mm. it's like a two-pronged issue here mm. we mm. we gotta we gotta get insulin producing cells working again and we gotta make sure the antibodies are reduced to the point where they're not destroying those cells anymore right. so i have yet to hear or see the story of the person who said yep look i went to the lab look at what my c-peptide was look at what my um, antibody levels were and here i am now and i no longer use insulin the reason the story gets a little confusing, and it's a topic we love to talk about at Mastering Diabetes, is because of type 1.5 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people getting diagnosed with LADA or type 1.5, right? The doctor puts them on insulin, all right? And then they make lifestyle changes, and then they don't need insulin anymore because they're still producing enough. Mm-hmm. So LADA type mm-hmm. 1, you're kind of like in that middle where you're still produced, your beta cells are still functioning. So. And you're still producing enough insulin to eventually get off. So, like, it's a very nuanced topic. So, so, so for everyone, just to give us a little education, yeah. tell us the difference between type one, type one point five, and type two. Okay, type one—that's the type that I live with, that Cyrus, my co-founder, lives with. Yeah. And this is where we are not producing a sufficient amount of insulin to manage our blood glucose levels. It's an autoimmune condition. Our beta cells have been damaged. We don't know why. We don't know the cause. But I just don't produce enough insulin. I have to inject it 
So in order to stay alive. When you say sufficient amount, do you mean any amount or... or well, when, right. you, when you're initially diagnosed, yeah. you're kind of in a honeymoon phase. And your C-peptide might be, a, say, 0.5, might be 0.4, it might be 0.3, right? You're still producing a little bit. Yeah. And then eventually, over time, yeah. these antibodies end up destroying more beta cells. That's what the science shows us right now. Okay. So that's type one. So type one is the main thing to remember is you're just not producing enough. Okay. So let's go to type two, the other side. Yeah. That's a, so autoimmune type one, type two is a lifestyle condition. You're actually initially producing excess insulin. It is caused by insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is the cause of type two diabetes. You can't have that as a prerequisite. You yep. can't have type two unless you have l- eaten your way or I would say eaten and not moved your body yeah. into a state of where you need to produce excess insulin in order to keep your blood glucose under control. And over time, your body gets exhausted, right? And your pain, you, then your insulin production can actually go down as a type 2, and you can eventually become an insulin-dependent type 2. Mm-hmm. But it's characterized by the requirement of uh, excess insulin because you're living with insulin resistance, and we can go to a whole other story about insulin resistance. That, they can go back to the first show or the episode you did with Cyrus to yeah. really learn about that. Yeah. But um, that's, that's the difference. So type 2, lifestyle condition. Type 1, autoimmune. All right? do you think, do you, just, just, just so we can, is it fair to say in a really, really tight summation that type 2 is, for the most part, a function of too much fat that has built up in the, the, the cells that then does not allow the insulin hormone to uh, escort the sugar into the cells. That, that's, aggr- that's, that's the cause of insulin resistance. But I do want to clarify yeah. in the, the work we do at Mastering Diabetes, okay? Insulin resistance can be present in all forms of diabetes. I want people to really catch that, right? Whether it's type 1, whether mm. it's type 1.5, whether it's you know, pre-diabetes, type 2, like it can be present in all of them. And so it's the cause of pre-diabetes and type 2. Okay. okay. But you summarized it correctly, yes. Okay. Okay. Good. And then... Uh, then type uh, 1.5. Okay, this is the interesting one that most people don't know about. And there's a lot more people living with type 1.5 than, um, than people understand. Okay? Well, everything I've heard is that like 90% of diabetes in this country is type 2 diabetic, that, type 2 diabetes. Yeah, right. That's correct? Yeah. Right? And, and we're seeing a lot of people, again, it's, I should, I mean, maybe, I don't have any exact numbers on the topic, but a significant number of people come to us at Mastering Diabetes, right? And they're thin and they've been, di- they're underweight and they've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. They're put on like metformin or something like that. Yeah. And that is a big red flag. Okay, if this ever happens where you are underweight and a doctor diagnoses you with type 2 diabetes, you, you, get, you have to like ask for some more tests. Mm-hmm. And the number one test to ask for is a C-peptide. All right. And so a, a lot of doctors, endocrinologists don't fully understand type 1.5. We see this all the time. It's also known as LADA, latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's basically what's happening here is it's a slow onset version of type 1. So my type one, like it happened fast, yeah. right? I went like a, a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm fully functional, zero problems, no dehydration. And then boom, it just happens. And then, and then the, the, the speed at which that's your C-peptide level ends up dropping is quite fast in type one. Type 1.5, no, it's like slow. It's mm. pretty slow. And we've seen that people who make lifestyle changes, 
they can they can again anecdotally they can maintain a solid C peptide, meaning that they have a, enough insulin production to delay the use of insulin. Mm. Right? It's not necessary. We don't want people to get confused that the goal is like, oh, don't use insulin. Insulin's bad. You know, pharmaceutical medications are bad. Drug companies are bad. We don't believe that. Mastering diabetes, right? Like insulin is why we can survive, right? So we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and so you might need to use it, but uh, it's going to be in small quantities and. Again, if you make lifestyle change, you can usually delay your need for insulin. And okay. you know, and and basically what you're doing is you're becoming more insulin sensitive. Mm-hmm. You're basically the insulin that you are still producing is enough to keep you off of additional, you know, insulin or other medications. Right. So when you become like uber insulin sensitive, a little goes a long way. Yes. And and what's the benefit to not having to Keep like, for example, for yourself, yeah, for taking in less insulin as opposed to just more, and and doing everything you can yeah. to become as insulin sensitive as possible. What's yeah. the benefit there? For for me, the primary benefit is the reduction in long term complication risk. All right, so people living with any form of diabetes, the number one cause of death is heart disease, mm. including type one. All right. So that's a complication of the lifestyle that people with all forms of diabetes are living. And so when you become more insulin sensitive and you start, you know, living a healthier lifestyle, you are reducing your risk for heart disease and for a lot of the other complications. So reducing your risk for kidney disease, reducing your risk for developing high, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, okay? Alzheimer's disease, also known as type 3 diabetes, right? Insulin resistance of the brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, obesity. I mean, again, all types of diabetes, people are overweight. We have a lot of people come to us, type one, they're looking to lose weight. You just threw in a new, a, a new kind of kid on the block there, type three, di- type three diabetes, which you said is of the brain. Is, yeah. is that like Alzheimer's or yeah. dementia? Or, or? Basically, yes. It's, you can also consider insulin resistance of the brain. Yeah. And is, is that something that is widely known or is that is, are we just starting to hear about this um i think the shares eyes are sort of you know giving some light to that topic yeah and, um, and they've been on the podcast if, yeah if anybody's interested yeah they're amazing yeah so yeah hmm okay uh well it, it's quite a it's it's quite a world it the, is the, the diabetes world it is it was a lot of confusion rip <laughs> wow yeah we are saying like the exact opposite of what most people think they should do to improve their insulin sensitivity or lower their blood glucose. And it's a lot of fun to open people's minds. And, you know, I I love the objectivity of diabetes and the ability to really see without any argument or confusion that you see the numbers and the numbers tell a very clear story. And that's another reason why I'm so attracted to, um, you know, triathlon training and Ironman. I just, I love the objective data. Right, right, right. And... How would you say that what you just expressed? So conventionally, people think that you need to be consuming, for the most part, a uh, a high fat, low mm-hmm. carbohydrate diet, right? Right, That's because right. they think that diabetes is a sugar issue. Correct. When in reality, as we just said, it's a fat issue. Correct. But how is that informed? Like everything that you do now, as you move through life and this world. I mean, really, we're just opening people's minds. I mean, you're, so what happens in the world of diabetes is that 
it's one of the few conditions you can self-monitor. It's one of the few conditions where anybody can go to the drugstore, can buy a blood glucose meter, can get some test strips and prick themselves, right? So you eat a meal, you, maybe they, people follow a recipe in the book or they, they see some fruit. Like, oh, let me just try some bananas. Let me see what happens. I have them with type 2 diabetes or type 1. Any form of diabetes, they try these higher carbohydrate meal. They prick themselves and they see, oh, my gosh, I went to 200, 250, 300. How can you possibly say that this is, this is good for me? This is going to help me lower yeah. my A1C. That doesn't make any sense because they see the numbers right on the meter. And what they, they're missing is the education of the fact that it was their dietary choices in the days prior, the weeks prior, months prior, years prior that have set themselves up to be living in a state of insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have excess dietary fat that is inhibiting insulin from functioning properly. So the glucose comes in in that very moment because they still are in a very insulin resistant state. Yeah. They see a high reading, but over time, if you know how to transition, we're very adamant about people in the beginning doing specific activities to transition to not see those annoyingly high readings mm. and eventually get to a point where you can eat freely and not worry about high blood glucose levels anymore with prediabetes and majority of type 2. And you said eat freely. You, I don't think I've ever seen anyone eat <laughs> as freely when it comes to fruits. Yeah. I mean, it is... It's it's really kind of spectacular. And as you can see here in this photo behind me here, you had myself, my son Cole, yeah. plant-based addict Adam Sud, and John Mackey over for dinner yeah. the other night. We're, we play pickleball every <laughs> Sunday, and you thought it'd be nice to get us all over for dinner. And you served the most really sensational meal. And will you tell everybody kind of what, what yeah. you served us? I'm glad you enjoyed it. And this is like, it's kind of like a mastering diabetes trademark, okay? Because this, the way we ate at that meal was exactly what we do at retreats, okay? So we have run many retreats over the years, some in LA, some in Costa Rica, and we provide individual ingredients in bowls yeah. and let everybody choose how much you want to eat, the combination. So with this particular meal, I had, you know, in-season fruits. So I had local peaches that I had just picked up. Uh, I had some mangoes that are coming to season. All right. So these are the honey mangoes, the tuffle mangoes. Put those out there. Uh, let's see. What else did we have? We had plenty of tomatoes. We had blueberries and we had greens. We had some hemp seeds, some avo uh, avocado, yeah, yeah. some pumpkin seeds. People wanted to sprinkle those on top. I think I had some dulse out there. So it was just a bunch of ingredients, like individual ingredients uh, that we could all just put together in our bowls. And then we had a dessert of... Uh, Frozen bananas and frozen peaches. And you also had a dressing. Ah, oh, that's right. That dressing was good. And, and tell everybody what the dressing was. Okay, it's got cilantro, yeah. passion fruit, mango, and lime. Yeah. I can tell people the exact recipe if you want. It's 16 grams of cilantro, yeah. 40 grams of passion fruit, yeah. 75 grams of mango, and a half a lime. And so you just rattled off those figures pretty easily. You... Do you weigh and measure everything you eat? I do. Now, okay, this is an important topic, right? So, oftentimes people don't like that idea. That could be triggering, you know, I have to weigh things, measure, like that's not fun. Okay. So, one, when you're living with type 1 diabetes, in order for me to understand how much insulin to inject at any given meal, it 
is essential for me to understand the total amount of carbohydrate. It's a ratio. You're using a certain ratio at every meal. Okay? And what is that ratio? My rate, it's, it's carbohydrate to insulin ratio. So mine changes throughout the day. So in the morning, I'm injecting it like a 30 to 1. As the day progresses, I might be injecting it like a 70, 80, 90 to 1, depending on my training. Whereas a typical type 1 is probably injecting around like 10 to 1 or lower. If you're on a keto diet, you're injecting like 1 to 1, 2 to 1. So it's a dramatic difference. The insulin sensitivity that happens on the Mastering Diabetes Method, it truly is extraordinary. So, like, so, I'm, I'm, so, really, I'm excited about it. I'm proud of it because what we do at Mastering Diabetes, we just stack together all of the evidence-based research to compile into one system that when you all put it all together, your insulin sensitivity is through the roof. Like it is insane. Now, I want to I, I wanna go back and understand this a little bit yeah. more. You said in the morning it's like 35 or 40 30 to, to, one. to one. Yeah. That's that's 30 grams of carbohydrate to one unit of insulin. Unit of insulin. Like, yeah, fast acting insulin. Okay. Fast as fast yeah, acting right. insulin. And then later in the day it's like 75 80. It, it, yeah. Okay. And typically on a keto if you're following keto for every 1 gram of carbohydrate they're doing 1 unit of insulin. Yes. Okay. So they're not they're not very insulin sensitive. No, definitely not. Yeah. They're now, in- like, and, and again, this is a fascinating argument, right? To give, to understand their perspective, what they'll say is, look, we are not carb adapted. Like we, we are, we are running on a different system. Right. So we wouldn't expect that. So, you know, I understand where they come from. Like I respect everybody in the, like I respect everybody who's doing all these different approaches because I think we all have a lot more in common than we don't have in common. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest problem we have when it comes to health in this country is apathy. People who just don't care, mm-hmm. so aren't trying. But um, we we offer a different approach, and uh, the results are very obvious, and they come in very quickly. But yes, you're exactly right. So insulin sensitivity is so major, major, yeah. dis- major difference. Okay, and and, and uh, I want to talk about how that also affected your training and, yeah. and, the, and the discoveries that you made. But I want to ask you, a, a, this is a bigger question right now, yeah. kind of a broader question. And that is, how did your discovery about what you know you made about, wow, I mean, I can eat all the fruit I want and all the vegetables I want, and I'm eating massive amounts of carbohydrates, which runs completely counter to conventional you know, wisdom. How does did that outside of diet inform yeah. the way you move through life, the way yeah. you move through the world? Does it make, did it make you question like everything mm. and everybody? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I haven't thought about it like that. Um, I, so I first started to learn about this in 2006. That's when I changed my diet to the exact same diet I follow right now. Low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet, fruit-based, 2006. And was part of that also, is that when you encountered that's Doug, right. Doug that's Graham's? A, yeah. Yep. And that's when I read... 80-10. Cyrus's testimonial in the 801010 book. And I remember I Googled his name and there was an article written about Cyrus on this website called Organic Athlete. And I saw him like he was doing biking and just looking ripped and fit. I'm like, this is cool. Like this is, this yeah, sounds yeah. like a really good because he's also living with type one, right? So I'm like, that's really inspiring. And then that's when I started working with Doug, December 2006. Right. And uh yeah. yeah. I would say yes, the answer to your question is yes. My life in basically every 
way change. I think I see this happen a lot when I talk to people who start making dietary changes. It just opens you up to learning about yeah. so many different things, so many different bodies of knowledge I end up getting involved with. So yeah, your life changes. Well, it makes you realize too that so many things that everybody takes for granted, yeah. the, the conventional wisdom yeah. maybe needs to be looked at again. Yes. And there may be a a better, more powerful way of doing what we thought was the the, the best way yeah. or the correct way. Yeah. And for those that are interested, you know, I I had Doug Graham on the yes. on the podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a very uh, a very lively conversation. <laughs> uh, he's 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 you know, brilliant guy, quite a character, You're quite a character, and, a lot and, of fun. And uh, I, I but I love the way he you know questions you sure. know conventional yes. everything. Uh, and speaks his mind. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. But anyways, I'll wrap up the question about the, the measuring. Okay? Yeah. Because, so I personally, I like to be as accurate as possible. And I personally don't have a problem putting everything on a food scale. Right. I just like, you know what? If I'm going to cut up the mangoes and put it on the plate, why not just have the plate sitting on top of the food scale and write down the number? It's really not like that much of a of an issue for me logistically. Yeah. So I do measure everything. I put it into a software called Chronometer, uh, which I learned about from Jeff Novick many, many years ago. I've been using that software since long, but when it was just a desktop app, right? There was no website to use it on. It was fantastic. I love that software. How, how dead on is it? It's 100% accurate because it's using uh, information from the USDA Nutrient Database. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, a bit the best, it's the most accurate we have, right? That's, that's where most of us are getting information. So I log everything in there. Helps me make educated decisions. Now, for people who don't want to do that, we have what's called a go-to meal at Mastering Diabetes. So it's like, okay, you figure out meals that you have had many times. And you, you know, okay, it's, it's a can of beans. It's a cup of spinach. It's a cup of tomatoes. You don't need to put that into the software every time. It's a go-to meal. It's the same thing. You've had it over and over again. You know the carbohydrate count. You know how much insulin to take. Could, could be the same smoothie. You know, I put in two cups of bananas, a couple of blueberries, some spinach, whatever. Mm-hmm. Go-to meals prevent you from having to use a food scale over and over again. But especially in the transition, it's important to become aware of how many grams of carbohydrate you're consuming and how much total fat you're consuming. Because most people don't know mm. how much fat is in their diet and that's what's contributing to their insulin resistance. Mm. And if you had to say, give me a guesstimate, or maybe you know exactly, what percent of your daily caloric intake is is coming from fat? Uh, it's roughly 5%. 5%. Mm-hmm. That, that is, that's, that's, that, that's really low. It's very low. Wow. And, and some people, that might be too low for them. So in Master Diabetes, again, we'll have people get closer to maybe 10%, but it's totally, uh, it's up to each individual. And what to me is even more remarkable about that 5%, you know, having known you, is that you don't do, you don't do beans, you don't do potatoes. Right. Uh, is it fair to say that the way that you eat yeah. is basically fruit and greens and, and an entirely raw food? That, that would be accurate. Diet? Yeah. 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 And it's been working incredibly well for you. And this leads me to this. So you were able to fuel yourself with fruits and greens Mm -hmm. to not only train for, but also compete in Ironman triathlon in 11 hours and 47 minutes. Yeah. Right? Yep. Which is hours, 46 minutes and nine there seconds. There you go. There you go. No, I, just, I, 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 okay. Every second counts, which is what I've learned in this sport. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So 
At what point did you wake up and decide that you, Robbie Barbero, want to do an Ironman? Okay, so I have been learning from... This is an interesting story, but I'm going to tell you just straight up how it happened, okay? It kind of goes into a little bit of left field here, but this is the truth. I've been learning from a partnership coach, okay? It's one of my highest priorities in life is to find a life partner, okay? Yeah. I'm looking for that. And so I've been learning from this woman... And there was a track where I was just, she was just teaching, you know, why do people in a relationship sort of like fall out of love? Like what happens? Like they're at the top of the tree and they fall and they fall and eventually they're on the ground like the relationship's over. And she's like, you know, what she observes happens is people lose, lose respect, admiration, and affinity for their partner through little actions. It's like little this, little this, little that. And it's kind of like slowly fall down the tree and all of a sudden the relationship's in shambles, right? And so she said, okay, how do we fix this? She says... Each person should make a list of the things that they are losing respect, admiration, and affinity for themselves. What things are you doing where you're losing that respect for yourself? Okay. Then make the list for your partner. What's, what's happening with your partner where you're losing respect for them? Mm. Okay. And then when you share them, okay, you, you actually find out that it's the same things. Right? So you're actually on the same page. So if you work together, you can solve these problems. It's very interesting. And I was like, okay, look, I'm not in a relationship right now, but this is an interesting exercise. What things do am I doing in my life right now where I'm losing respect, admiration, and affinity for myself? Hmm. What is it? And the first thing that came to mind was, you know what? I'm not reaching my athletic potential in any way, shape, or form. I am not excited about what I'm doing. Like, I was lifting weights twice a week. I would play some tennis here or there. I would maybe go to a, an exercise class. Like, it was just nothing significant. Starting to get into pickleball? A little bit, a little bit, right? But there was just nothing significant. I'm like, you know what? I, I got to do something about this. And I thought about it, and I didn't, I didn't like come up with the Ironman immediately. But after some conversation and some thinking, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to train for an Ironman. That would be fun. And if I did that, really, I would up my respect for my my fitness and my commitment to that my commitment to my my you know physical health and so the initial goal was just a complete one yeah. i was like you know what all I, I just crossed the finish line if i get this thing done in like 17 hours or less i'll be happy that is is to be an official uh, finisher at 17 or less it's 17 or 18 i have to okay. check yeah, i think that's i think you're right i think it's 17 yeah so that's how it came about it's just literally uh, a mission to work on an area in my life where I wanted to gain respect for myself. Mm, mm. That's great. I mean, and and you didn't decide on a sprint triathlon or an Olympic distance triathlon or a half Ironman. You just like decided, okay, I'm going to do a full Ironman mm. triathlon. Yeah. What are the distances for people that have no idea? 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and 26.2 mile run. And it's one right after the other. You don't get to like go take a nap after each one. <laughs> you get a transition, but you want to do that as fast as possible. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, and, okay. And so you decided to do it. And so what's your next step? I mean, for somebody that's trying to maybe potentially do a triathlon, they've never done one. They want to up their, their game like that. Did you find a coach? Did you go online? Did you have a bike? Ah, <laughs> uh, did, 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 did you decide to be part of a master swim team? I mean, it's three, it's three disciplines yeah. that you really got to figure out and master. Yeah. Three disciplines that I did not have a history in. Wow. So it was kind of serendipitous. The initital <clears throat> thought was, you know what, let me join some sort of group. 
And so I signed up for a group. I, I don't know. I paid like $60 or Are something. Are you in Miami at the I time? I was in Miami at the time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so I tried to join this group and then nobody wrote back to me. I'm like, what's going on? I don't really trust this group. I'm not very excited. So then I was uh, visiting a massage therapist and I was like, hey, what do you, what do you think would be a good uh, triathlon group for me? She's like, well, there's this coach and she might work with you. And I was like, okay, what's her name? She's like, well, her name is Leanda and she's like a world champion. I don't know if she'll work with you or not. I'm like, okay, like, let me just DM her on Instagram. <laughs> so I sent her a DM. I'm like, hey, this is, this is my goal. Uh, would you like to, you know, work together? And so she's like, okay, let's talk and have some, have some tea or something. So we met. This is in, um, October of what year? 2022. Okay. Yep. So October 2022, we meet up and I'm like, look, Leanda, all I want to do is just finish this thing. Like, I just, I just want to finish an Ironman. And the initial goal was April 22nd. It's going to, I was going to do the Ironman in Houston on April 22nd. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you think I can do it? And she's like, let's see. Let's like get you out there and let's see what you can do. Cause that's only about six months, right? Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty ambitious undertaking. Yeah. Six months to go from zero to an Ironman yeah, I'd never, I'd never run a half marathon certainly i'd never run a marathon <laughs> like nothing wow. i did have the tennis background right so i still had like some yeah. athletic background and all that but um yeah so we start with i start with leanda and she was you know she was pretty happy like i started swimming in the ocean she's like oh wow like you're pretty comfortable in the open water that's great i'm like okay i didn't really think about it i'm just swimming i did learn how to swim as a kid so at least my parents took me to swimming yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I grew up in minnesota so we would go swim at like the in the lake you yeah. know, landed 10,000 legs. So, and we had a cabin and all that. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't, I had just bought a bike off Facebook Marketplace. My friend Jose Tejero, a uh, really cool guy. He works at Mastering Diabetes as well. And he had done an Ironman recently. So he sort of coached me through getting a bike. So I got a bike and, uh, just started doing group workouts with Leanda and the team and got into it. And I, my first event was an Olympic distance. That was in November in Miami. And Leanda was like, oh, you might have to walk on the run. I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I surprised her at that event. I did and pretty you, decent. You didn't have to run? I mean, no, you, no, didn't, I, you didn't have to walk. No, 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 I, no I, I did quite well. Okay, okay. Um, and, and so, like, I, that, after that race, I was like, I'm really starting to, like, get the bug. Like, I enjoy this. Like, this is fun. And it's, I think it's good for my body type, right? Yeah. I, it's, just, it's the right sport for me at this time in life. Right. And so, yeah, that was, that was it. I was off the races. And then... Um, through a series of events, the April 22nd event got pushed. I, I decided to not do that one. I ended up going and doing it in Tulsa like a month later on May 21st. That got me a little extra time. But what that allowed me to do, which is a major blessing, is fit in a half Ironman in Galveston on April 2nd. And that was huge because so I you, learned so you, a lot. So April 2nd, you did a half Ironman. Yep. And then May, you did another half Ironman? full. You, April 2nd was the half. Oh, May 21st was the full. That's right. That's right. Yep. Okay. Okay. So you did the Olympic, then you did the half, and yep. then you did the full. Right. Okay. That's okay. Right. Okay. He's kind of stair, and, stair-stepped yes. your way up there. And, I, and I, the initial plan was not to do that. I was just going to just do the full on April 22nd. So what, what did you learn in the half that was I so I learned valuable? a major blood glucose management error. So I did quite well. I was, I was on pace to be sub five. I was trying to do sub five hours in that race. And my swim was right on point. My bike was right on point. I got to the run and I let my blood glucose drop low. And I just, it's, it's such 
a mind battle. Like when you, no matter how hard I try to overcome that situation, yeah. the body just can't perform. My yeah. blood glucose, I think, got down to like sixty or so. Yeah, and the ability to recover from that and then finish and do strong. I ended up at five thirty three, um, which wasn't bad. But I was like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake in Tulsa, which is the one event that I really care about. And so learning how to eat, how to make sure the blood glucose monitoring system was working properly. It was, it was a great learning. And it's, it's almost impossible to replicate race yeah. day in training. So how are you monitoring your blood glucose? So I wear a Dexcom continuous glucose monitor. Okay. Where, where is that on your body? So right now I got a G7 right here. Okay, on your tricep. Yep. And that communicates with a watch that I have. Yeah. So while I'm swimming, I'm not monitoring my blood glucose, right? I'm, in, I'm initially, I'm using my knowledge from training. Oh, okay, where should I start? How much but, am I going to But go you down? have it on your tricep it, for the swim. Yeah. But, yeah, but, okay, yeah. but you'd also ask to have my phone with me yeah, yeah, okay, or okay. some device yeah. to then talk to the. I've tried this, Rip. I've tried swimming with like one of those buoys. Yeah, uh, where yeah. the phone's in the yeah. buoy. Yeah. And I'm like, hopefully the phone will talk to my watch and I could see my, it just for whatever reason, I just can't get it to work. Okay. I don't know why. Just stop. It's just something about, I yeah. don't know. So anyways, I don't see my blood glucose while I'm swimming. Yeah. I just start high, know that it's going to come down. Um, and then once I get on the bike, I can see my blood glucose on the Garmin. Yeah. And so actually I made a mistake in, uh, in Galveston that first half where I messed up a setting on my phone. So for a majority of the background, I couldn't see my blood glucose. Uh, but I made sure not to make that mistake in Tulsa. Then when you get on to the run, you can see it on your watch. So what? So you say you're, so you're monitoring your, your blood glucose on the bike. What do you typically, what are the parameters you want to see it between? Okay. So this is a great question. And I still have not figured this one out yet. This is going to take more racing more race experience to dial this in. Mm. Uh, when I'm training, I have no problem keeping it somewhere between like 120 and like 160, 170. Like I got the goal. So for type one diabetes, the goal is to stay between 70 and 180. That's, that's the, the general range. You mean during the day, just if just you're a sedentary life, person, hundred percent type one diabetes, yep. you're, you're doing activity, whatever you're doing, your goal throughout the day, you know, it's, it's called this whole concept. We call time and range something I'm very passionate about. It's a, it's a new thing because of CGMs, right? Um, which is, you know, a new technology. But you're tr trying to stay between 70 and 180. So I take that into my regular training, and that's my goal. I, I want to stay in range while training. While doing a race, I currently have the goal of not staying in range. I want to stay above 200 the entire time mm. for the primary reason of I just do not want to go low. I, that just crushes the race. You're, it's over. You're not going to get a great time. So you'd rather, you'd rather be high than low. Correct. Correct. That's, that's my mm -hmm. current strategy. That, that, that would be my, my ongoing strategy. But the question is, how high am I going to allow it to be? And, 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 when, and more races are going to give me more confidence to ride it a little bit lower, now, closer to that in range. Now, are you having to give yourself any insulin during the race? So that's also been a learning experience. Um, or yeah. Yeah. So I use multiple daily injections. Okay. So I have pens. I use Basaglar for my long acting insulin. I so that I inject that once a day. And then for my fast acting insulin, I use Humalog and it's a pen and I'll, and I have a, the junior pen. Okay. So I can do half units mm -hmm. because as you become more insulin sensitive, uh, being able to use those half units becomes very important. 
And a half unit can go a long way when you're very insulin sensitive and very active. So I, in Galveston, I did not inject any additional fast acting insulin. I had the pen with me in my Jersey on the bike ride and the run. I didn't need it because I ended up going low. Um, then, and part of going low, I was like, well, you know what? My basal rate was too high. So that basal rate is basic. So for you, and the majority of the people listening, your pancreas is releasing a drip feed of insulin all day long. It's keeping you in check all day long. That's your basal rate. And then when you have a meal, you have phase one insulin that's ready to go to help with your meal and then starts making more insulin immediately to always keep you in check. You don't go above 140. Right. I guarantee it. Right. You're in, you, you are always somewhere between 70 and 140. No matter what you eat, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to measure anything. Your body's doing all that work for you. Okay, so I have to inject some sort of basal insulin that keeps me in check in between meals. And so the version I use is called Baziglar, right? So it's you inject it and it forms a crystal. And then this crystal starts to slowly dissolve over a 24-hour period. Mm. And that's the basal rate. So in Galveston, the, my in hindsight, I had too much. The basal rate was too high. Like I literally was eating hundreds and hundreds of grams of carbohydrate without injecting any additional fast-acting insulin, mm. which is which is crazy, but it, it's because you're doing an Ironman. Um, so in Tulsa, for the full Ironman, I lowered the basal rate a little bit, and I did inject a half a unit of Humalog on the bike ride to keep me in check because I was a little bit higher than I wanted to be. And so we'll see what I'm going to do moving forward. Hmm. It, it's the, I was I was a little higher than I wanted to be during the race. What's but what, what's what's higher than you wanted? It was it was like uh, above three hundred for the majority of the race, and then when I got to the run, it started to come down and get more. The run I was more like one eighty ish, and it was slowly coming down. So I think towards the end of the run, I was like maybe one fifty or so. Uh -huh. um, but I was it was very. I saw how slow it was coming down, so I wasn't getting concerned, and I had enough dates with me. I did snack on a few dates, so. Which is my next question, which is, so as a kind of, you know, a fruititarian, greenitarian, <laughs> uh, what are you fueling yourself with during the, during the Ironman triathlon? Yeah. So based on advice. It's not goose. Yeah. <laughs> it's not goose. No, that would not meet my standard. Uh, so I was consuming date water. So basically take dates. And you just soak them in water and then you squeeze it with like through a nut milk bag. Yeah. And you have this water and it tastes amazing. Like date water is incredible. Um, so that was one of the liquids. Then I had coconut water and then I had whole dates. But obviously I pitted them beforehand, but just like dates in a plastic bag in my jersey. That So that's it. That's it. Those are, that's all and, I consume. And, and regular water. I got regular yeah, water on yeah. the bike ride. They give you water you can pick up like, I don't know, every 15 miles or so, something like that. And then on the run, every mile, there's uh, an aid station. You can get water in a cup. And, and so how many dates would you say you ate over the course of the Ironman? You know, I had this spreadsheet where I planned everything out and, you know, how many to eat per hour. This was advice given from Leanda and Doug, and it was great to see. So, so tell consistent. me, tell me how many calories did they recommend, or did you discover you wanted to have each hour? Is it you about know, 180, 200, or no? I have to pull up the spreadsheet, but it was more on the bike, yeah, a little higher on the bike, yeah. and then lower on the run. 
Because on the bike's your opportunity to actually fuel. Correct. It's yeah. hard to, harder yeah. to do when you're running. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was definitely higher than 180. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. it was more like. So maybe I meant what I meant. Yeah. It was about maybe 100 grams. Yeah, that might of be. Of carbs correct. an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's about 400 that calories. Might, that, I think that, yes, that sounds more right. Yeah. About, well, yes. We'll have to look on the spreadsheet, but yes. Okay. And Somewhere then, around there. And then the run's a little bit lower. Okay. And so, and, and so the date and the coconut, are those waters, are those things that you had either in your, you know, uh, your own special needs bag and also then on the bike? Yeah. So this is the fun part about doing an Ironman, right? Like your first time, obviously it's going to be easier the second time, but like the logistics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Where you, were just, you were just nerding out on yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So, um, you, once you get out of the water, you're done with the swim, you transition and on the bike. So your liquids are already on the bike. You were able to put them in the, you know, the, the bottle, water bottle holders in yeah. the morning. Yeah. And then the nutrition that you want to put in your Jersey is, is sitting there ready for you. Okay. So I, so I had like several bags of dates, right? So then that's, that's your first chance to start to begin fueling on the bike. Then halfway through the bike ride, you have a special needs bag. So in that bag, I packed more dates, more coconut water, more date water. Then you get to the transition. Any, of, any problems, issues getting your special needs bag? No. No? No, it was super smooth. They yeah. were great. Like they, you're, you're coming up on your, with your bike. They see your number and they, like, yeah. they get it out and they hold it for you. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We're good. Okay. So then um, once you finish the bike, you get into the run transition zone. And again, there I had a new batch of dates, new coconut water, new date water. Then you start running. And then on this particular run, it was like an out and back. And you had to do it twice. So I can get I get to that run special needs bag twice. Ah. That was interesting. So that run special needs bag, again, has, you know, more dates, more coconut water, more date water. <laughs> so. Now, I've, 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 you know, my specialty was the international or yeah. Olympic distance triathlon, which is, you know... Uh, an hour 50 to two hours is what I would usually do it in. I did two Ironman triathlons, one in 1994 and one in 1996. And I can tell you that I didn't train appropriately for them. And, and the run was, was always pretty darn ugly. And so my question to you is, you know, for your first Ironman triathlon, and it sounds like you, I mean, you trained appropriately for, yeah. for this thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, huge shout out to my coach. Okay. Leanda Cave. Is just been so supportive. She's a legend. I mean, she's a four-time world champion. Yeah. She's the only woman to ever win a half and a full in the same year. No joke. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. Right when yeah. when she said, "Hey, you know what?" and I asked her, "Like, do you think I can finish this full Ironman?" Like, she said, "Yes." That gave me all the confidence in the world, and I didn't question or think about a single thing. I never even looked more than a week in advance of any of my training. All I, I got this app called Training Peaks, and I just yeah. kind of really looked one or two. I looked like a week in advance. I would put it on my calendar. Yeah. So, um, you know, I often had to get up at like 4.30 a.m. to fit because I would do all my training in the morning. I do not like doing a separate session later in the day. Yeah. You end up finding a lot of different excuses of why it doesn't get done. Things happen at work. And it's also just more challenging for diabetes management to do one of those serious yeah. trainings later in the day because you just have less insulin on board, less food in your system. So, yes, like it was, it was a system that, um, uh, a coach that I trusted who'd just been there, done that, l looked at the entire map of this journey, and I just followed it one day at a time. Would you typically do 
two sports a day, one sport? Yeah, two a day. Two a day. Yep. Okay. And plus weights with Doug. So sometimes it would be three. Wow. Now, I want you to walk me through the Ironman yeah. and, and let me know, like, what were your toughest moments, points? Because I find that everybody has highs and lows because you were out there for almost 12 hours, right? Yeah. 11, yeah. 11.46. Yep. And, um, you know, you, my, I remember being out there on the run in, on the island of Kona the searing heat coming off that black pavement and thinking everybody that's out here showing up and trying to make it through this is an absolute hero. Mm. They're such a champ. And I can remember thinking just being vertical was difficult. (laughs) Just being vertical. All I wanted to do was lie down and I just... And along with these 15 other people, we just trudged on yeah. and on and yeah. on. Amazing. So talk, okay. talk to you. me. So in the very beginning, I get in the water. I start swimming. And it's like in hindsight, like I talked to Leanda about what happened. She's like, it's okay. It's totally normal. But like, I, I felt like I was having like a, a mini panic attack. Sure. Like, there was like so much adrenaline. I'm just like, what is going on? I've never felt this before. It didn't happen in Galveston. Yeah. It didn't happen in uh, the event I did in Miami. Like, wh- I, is my wetsuit too tight? Like, is something yeah. wrong? And then eventually, it took a couple minutes, right? I calmed down. Okay, wow. Like, it feels normal now. Now I'm just like swimming. So that was a challenging thing. And, and, and know that you're not alone there. Yeah. That's happened to everybody. And it's even happened to me once or twice where... There is something about being completely constricted mm. and wearing a wetsuit mm. that does kind of sometimes, I think, uh, accelerate sure. those feelings yeah. of uh, you know anxiety, especially when it's a big race and you know you're hyperventilating yeah, and, sure. getting, and getting psyched. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you've put in like so much time and energy and training, and it's just a lot. So, anyways, I realize that that's okay. So I'll be prepared for that Good. next time. Well, congratulations yeah. on like like w- walking yourself yeah, through totally. that difficult totally. moment. Yeah. So then I kept going, and the swim was pretty graceful. Um, I think that was like one hour and 16 minutes. Yeah. So I felt good. And again, I felt really well coached, well prepared. Leandis, like at any point in this event, where if it feels like really, really hard, you're going too fast. Like it should feel like pretty graceful, you know? And And so so, so I had that mentality in the swim. Yeah. And were you – because – and fortunately, because I was always, you know, out in the lead, yeah. I didn't have to deal with this. But I know for a lot of people, it's just elbows and, and, mm. and assholes everywhere, <laughs> like literally. Yeah. And so, did were you bumping up against people? It or? definitely happened, but um, it it was a you know, I feel like there's enough space. I feel like I got out to the right enough for it to n- really not be a big and issue. Did you have any issues? Because one of the challenges a lot of people have with open water, uh, outside of you know. <laughs> <laughs> the the fear of it is sighting. Mm, Did you yes. have any problems sighting, seeing the buoys, like you yeah. know, knowing so, which direction to go? I I asked you for goggles t- fogging <laughs> up. The goggles are great. I asked you for tips about this, and and you helped me. Um, and so luckily, swimming at Barton Springs, yeah, requires a lot of sighting. You don't want to hit people. No, it's and true. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not fun. This doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like, I feel bad. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I've hit a few people at Barton Springs. You're like, oh man, like, you really got to pay more attention. Because they're just like sitting there chilling. Or maybe some other people that are actually like swimming and training and you hit each other. It's like, anyways, I had a lot of practice of avoiding people. Yeah. Barton Springs helped me in that respect. So I think the sighting was, 
not a non-issue. Good. Yeah. Okay. So you come out of the water. You come out of the water. Okay. Then I get on the bike and I'm just feeling excited, right? Like one event is down. I love the bike. The bike is the best for me. It's fun. Um, I, this course had like 4,800 feet of elevation and which is actually nice. Yeah. It's good for me because I'm light. Yeah. It's light and my bike is pretty fast. So anytime I'm going uphill, I start catching people. And then when we get on the flats, they start passing me. (laughs) And then when we go downhill, I'm, I'm pretty fast downhill too. I started passing people downhill. Yeah. But, um, the bike was again, graceful because Leanda said, look, she said, heart rate trumps everything. So I'm just watching my heart rate, mm. just watching my heart rate, pedaling along. Going what, very what, what were your goals? What were you trying to keep your heart rate at? 145 on the bike. Okay. And I did. I nailed it. It was actually 145. Wow. That was the, that was the average. Sometimes it goes higher when you're going uphill, like it, it, it oscillates, but yeah. the average was 145. So 145 and in training, did you do a lot of 145 heart rate? Um, not that much actually. Okay. I feel like I was training a much higher than that. Oh, higher than that. Mm-hmm. So in the in the actual Ironman, it was a little bit maybe more of a, a little more relaxed yeah, base. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is smart. What mm-hmm. that's what she yeah. wanted you to right, do. Exactly. Okay. So the the most challenging part on the bike was towards the end, my being in the TT position, I had never been in that position for that long. Yeah. Consecutively, right? So you've done I've done a plenty of long rides with the group here or on the trainer at home, but usually you get a break, you kind of lift up a little, you know what I mean? Like, but I was really focused. This is the race, like stay in this position. And towards yeah. the end, I was just like, I, I can't, like, I need to like, I need to stand up straight. Right. And this, and that's not good for your speed. You're, you're losing time there. But, uh, that was, I wouldn't say it was challenging. It was just something I had to deal with, Yeah. but the bike was great. And I will tell you, so, uh, my buddy co-founder Cyrus, Gave me a piece of advice before. He's like, hey, man, like, I know you put a lot of, like, energy in, into this, but I hope when you're out there, I hope you smile. Mm. I hope you're smiling. Mm. And I, I thought about that a lot. And and because of that tip, when I would pass, you know, family members or people who were cheering on somebody that they loved, right? When I would pass them, I would interact with them. I'd be like, let's go. And then they would yell back at me, even though they really had no reason because they didn't know me, right? Yeah. But I sort of, like, called that. I sort of brought that in. Yeah. And it fueled me up. And then there were some cool people that I met beforehand. There was like a 45 minute delay because they were fog. So I met uh, some cool people um, while we were just waiting. And they were supporting this, you know, their, her, it was like two friends and a daughter supporting this one woman, right? And when they saw me on the course, yeah. they would go crazy. <laughs> like it was, and that uplifted me so much, Rip. I cannot tell you. Yeah what it means to like have people there cheering you on and like you just like carry that through yeah through the next you know till you see them again well and that's nice that because the way the course was laid out with loops yeah how, how many loops were uh was the bike um yeah, i think it was two but there was something it was different like there was something it wasn't the exact same loop right, right. there was something about it that felt kind of different there were some parts that were the same but yeah yeah so okay okay so um so the bike was pretty much a slam dunk. Yeah, the bike felt great. Okay. That's I think that's my strength. Okay. Okay. And you you fueled great, you hydrated wonderfully, yep. you didn't have any real low points on the bike? No, the bike just was smooth. Yeah. Okay. Now I've seen some video of you getting off the bike. <laughs> and and you, you don't look like a spring chicken. <laughs> no. So so even though the bike felt great, yeah. 
uh, going from biking to being vertical yeah. and and running probably didn't feel that, that great. was not great. So also, I'm just not that good at running in bike shoes. That's that's part of the reason I look a little okay. I'm like I'm like I'm crouched over. But I also saw you coming out, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, coming out of the transition yeah, in running sure. shoes. Your body's feeling it. Your body's <laughs> feeling it for sure. But the run, this is where it gets tough. And I knew this, right? I I watched plenty of videos on YouTube yeah. of, yeah. you know, people saying like the run is like the most challenging part, but it's also it's like where you you make grounds, like where you really like get your best performance. Like it's and it's a mental battle. I was told that beforehand. I knew there's this one video on YouTube called Iron Minds. And it's a couple of, you know, world champions talking about their mindset in the run. Yeah. And there was a specific woman in that video that said once you get to that last half, you have to think about something bigger than yourself. Mm. You have to think about other people. You have to, you have to find something. Otherwise, your mind, cause your mind is just like telling you to stop. Like the, the I had to fight not walking. It's something I'm very proud of is I did zero walking on that 26.2 mile run, which is incredible. Even when it came to the aid stations, I would, I would slow down to get the water and wait, uh, wait for my, my new friend that I met on the run, her name is Kennedy. She was my saving grace. I, I'm telling you, like, something I know about myself. Yeah. I benefit from doing things with people, no matter what it is, especially athletic training. We sort of pushed each other, supported each other. One of the coaches um, from the NVDM team, um, Natasha, she was on a bike. She came mm-hmm. out behind us and she said, like, look, you guys are on schedule for this time. And I was on schedule to finish at 11 hours and 35 minutes at that point in the run. And my goal was 1134. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, and then, and then I remember Kennedy saying to me, and we were with another guy at the point, but he, he sort of dropped it. Was, out. So what, it but was, she said, I'm going to get you there. Yeah. And that sentence. Yeah. She, I was like, okay, we're, yeah. going, we're going together. Let's do this. At what point did you run into Kennedy and become friends? I think that was mile, like, I think we'd run maybe like six miles in or something. So we probably ran together for almost 20 miles. Wow. The pain rip, the pain. So what, what you know, you know. Oh, I, I, I like, I cannot. And I'm telling you, like, I listen to so many YouTube videos, all this inspiration, and I will, I will say, like, I, I really, truly, am really proud of this. And you see, hear these videos saying of like, uh, like the pain is temporary, but if you give up, the feeling you're gonna have after, that's gonna last with you for life. Yeah. You like, if I, if I started walking. And finished at what, 12.30, 12.45? Oh, that's cool. Great. Like, you did an Ironman. Congrats. The feeling I would have compared to like, I really dug deep. Like, I, I, I'm so, I couldn't have done better. Well, I'm telling you for my first Ironman, for the training I was at, and I talked to Leanda, like, Leanda, we didn't do enough long runs. Mm-hmm. And that was because I had a couple sm- minor injuries that I, want, that I really babied. Yeah. If, it was, if anything minor came up, I was like, let's just chill. I'm yeah. just trying to finish the Ironman, right? And so based on where I was, the training I had coming in, that was the best I could do. So in, in, I understand that's the best you can do. In hindsight, do you think you could have done anything differently on the run to, to, to go uh, 11.44? If, if anything differently, to, so you're right. So you said in the beginning of the show here, like, I missed qualifying for the world championships by one minute and six seconds, okay? So in hindsight, what could I have done to get back that time? It would have been faster transitions. Right. I was a little too slow on the transitions. Um, and I feel like in hindsight, 
I probably have the ability to push a little bit harder on the bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't. I honestly don't think I could have done better on the run. <laughs> it was yeah. so yeah. The pain. Like it's so funny when I see that video of me crossing the finish line. I'm like, I wish I was. I wish I was running a little faster. I wish I looked a little stronger, but I'm telling you, that's all I have. So try and, try and help everybody understand when you say the run was just painful. Yeah. Like painful how? Where? Like, so, was, is, it, is it in the brain? Is it in the body? Where is it? It's physical pain. For me, it was in my calves um, primarily and um, my hip flexors. Which are areas I'm going to work on, right? I, I think I need a little more flexibility there, and I just need more long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but that every single step is just excruciating pain. It wasn't cramping. I didn't have any cramping. That right. wasn't a problem. Right. It was just like, this is painful. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I, I told you the story when I did the Nice International Triathlon yeah. in 1989. It, actually 88 and i told myself i would not walk it was 20 miles it was completely flat and i did it and i'm so glad i did but it was one of the most difficult things and you you were you did 26.2 miles and what did you were running for how long four hours and what uh i remember i think it was like 409 or something yeah that's a long time yeah to be kind of grinding it out yeah i want to get it done faster next time (laughs) Well, and, and the reality is, you know, you get a longer stride, mm-hmm. you, you, uh, you do the, the proper weight training yeah. and, and everything so that when you come off the bike, your legs aren't right. just a complete wreck. Correct. And, um, it, and it's a much more pleasant experience. Yeah. yeah. It's great to hear that from somebody who has the experience that you have. Yeah. I'm well, looking forward to that. <laughs> and, so, and so what's next for you? I mean, have you decided that you want to do another one? Or are you done? No, the training has already begun. And I, um, I am November fourth, Panama City, Florida. Wow! And um, I, what I love about this sport is everybody is so supportive. Like, it's not every sport where, like, in the morning, hey, I hope you have your best race ever. You know, it's yeah. not like not like the basketball team goes into the other locker room is like, hey, man, hope you guys do great today. You know, like it's really about just your improving yourself. And so my goal is, I don't know, I don't have the exact number I'm looking for yeah, yet. Like, yeah. we'll, we'll figure that out through training, but. I'm going to tr- do better than I did last time. And, 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 uh, I just love the structure of the sport. I love having something on the calendar. Mm. I've really enjoyed surrounding myself with people that I really respect. Communicating with Leanda every day is yeah. like inspiring to me. Doug Graham has been helpful and inspiring. We communicate on a daily basis. Like it's really, uh, it's improved my quality of life and I plan to continue. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's nice having a carrot in front of you. Yeah. And it's nice having a support group. Yes. To help you chase after that, that yeah. carrot. I have to say, okay, yeah. of my support group, okay? My friend Taylor is also a huge part of this team. And I got to say, like, when I was on that run, okay, and I was thinking about that Iron Man, Iron Minds video, like, you got to think of, like, something outside of yourself. Yeah. The number one thing I was thinking about that entire run is like, I cannot let Taylor down. Like, Taylor has been put in so much energy, so much support, has been there every step of the way, the biggest cheerleader. Like, you can do this. Like, times when I'm just, like, struggling or whatever, it's like, you can do it, you can do it. Like, just in, in the training process, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, we are not going to drive home for seven hours with some result that is disappointing, right? And I was just like, 
having just like yeah. playing on what you're saying here, like having those people that are supporting you on a day by day basis and you don't want to let that. It's just like, it's, it's kind of like a beautiful energy sort of yeah. feeds each other. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't have any bananas? No bananas. The, you know, yeah. what's funny is like, um, on the run, I considered grabbing a banana. Yeah. But when I looked at the tray, yeah. they were completely unripe. And I'm like, I'm not putting an unripe banana in my body right now. I couldn't believe it. Were but you, I was fine. I mean, I had the dates were fine. The, the coconut water on the run felt real good. Mm-hmm. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very refreshing. It tastes great. I mean, that yeah. really worked well. Well, that's awesome. Uh, well, you've you've always been a you know, after the first podcast in our in our write up, we referred to you as you know Robbie the Seeker, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, seeker seeker of the truth, seeker yeah. of you know different things in life. And, um, you know, my hat goes off to you on, you know, seeking to better understand, you know, what you wanted to do to be, I think maybe a happier, better version of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. As you talked about, and then not going after some little rinky dink thing, but like an Ironman triathlon, which is like one of the most incredible endurance events on the planet. Right. Yeah. And then you did it like literally six, seven months after you decided you were going to do it. That's, that's, that's remarkable. And as a type one diabetic. Yeah. Right. And now you got another one in November. Yeah. Flying high, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you, Rep. I appreciate it. Wow. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Sharing, you know, updating us on, on this, this journey that you went on. And after your November, you say it's in Panama City. Panama City, Florida. Panama City. Yeah, let's let's come back on. Let's and, do it again. And we'll talk right, about before it. we go. Yes, I have to. First off, I just want to tell you, I love this space. Okay, this like like the forks over knives poster. So many great memories know, uh, of that time together. Seeing your food products all over the place, what you've created is such a gift. Like mm. I, I've been saying this, you know, to our clients and people I know, like. You creating these incredibly clean, healthy products that people can use mm-hmm. to get into their daily life. Like, it's not easy these days of how busy people are, their family. And there's not, you needed to create these products because they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And you've done it. And I, it's, it's no easy task to be creating this, these products and doing what you're doing. So just want to like acknowledge that and say thank you. And it's just fun to see it's all in the space. Um, but also, like, you've just been the most incredible friend throughout all these years. Like, we first met through Forks Over Knives. Yeah. And you have always been an inspiration to me uh, on a lot of levels. You know, of course, the athletic, you know, endeavors and you climbing that pole, real men eat plants. Like, that's amazing. But just as a human being yeah. and, and a father and, like, the family you have and how I, I see you show up in that way and the relationship you have with Cole, which I've gotten to see um in in a beautiful way like i just Mm. really really appreciate like the example you set it's definitely impacted me in a lot of ways so i want to thank you for that and i also want to congratulate you for this show i mean like you said i was episode 30 a lot has happened between now we're almost at 200 and then and you know the guests that you have had on i've listened to many of the shows i thoroughly enjoy them 
And you're just, again, it's another example of just you in life in general. Like you've been so helpful to Cyrus and I when it comes to book things and mm-hmm. just you're consistent, you're committed and you produce results. And those are the type of people I love to surround myself with. So I'm just grateful to know you and grateful for your friendship. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you very much. And it's been great having you here in Austin, uh, having you be part of the family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, our, our family loves you and it's been fantastic playing pickleball Mm -hmm. every Sunday. Absolutely. And I look forward to a a lot more of it. A hundred percent. All right. So let's you and me, let's split this mango. Let's split this mango. Is this a champagne mango? Yeah. You can call it champagne. You can call it tofu, honey. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot of different names. All right. All right. All right, my man. Playing strong. Thank you so much. Let's all wish Robbie good luck as he tackles his second Ironman triathlon in Panama City, Florida on November 4th. If you're interested in learning more about Robbie and his terrific work with Mastering Diabetes, I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for you. The Ironman triathlon slogan is anything is possible. And I mean that no matter what goals you're trying to achieve. We're here to help you make it happen as you dream big, step outside your comfort zone, and journey into the unknown. With that, all my best, and be sure to keep it Plan Strong. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, leaving us a positive review and Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.